0: To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward/events. Hello. Uh, hello.. In the back. <laughs> I'm sorry we're so small. Um, what a time to be reading a novel called "I am Sovereign." <laughs> <laughs> There are some writers you thank your stars for the fact you're alive at the same time as. I think it is no exaggeration to say that I am glad to be alive at the same time as Nicola Barker, one of the most original writers at work in any of the written forms right now, and one of the most original of our writers ever and yet. She is a visionary writer. I know that because uh, when before Twitter, uh, and I was reading Behind uh, where a lot of people follow a chap about, they become his kind of followers. And I thought, gosh, she's she's foreseen Twitter. Years. <laughs> uh, you, did you know that you were going to? Did you know that that was that behind oh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, she is a visionary writer. She is a Daedalus of textual sensitivity. And I think that's, she's an inventor and a reformer of everything about the literary text from the complete form itself down to the section, the redefinition of the paragraph, the sentence at sentence level and typeface level, all the way down to what she calls the tiny kaboom hand grenades of each and every comma. I Am Sovereign is a short novel about, oh God, summarise a Nicola Barker novel. Uh, it's about everything. It is about 20 minutes in the life of some people involved in a house viewing in Clandadno. It's about how we find a home for the human and a home for the soul. It's about the novel form. It's about the relationship between the words author and authority. And it is about whose story gets told and whose doesn't and the ramifications and the responsibilities of this. It is all of this faster than the speed of light. She is a rejuvenator of this old island language, literature. She is simultaneously a profound understander, often in the helter-skelter form of a wildly comic fiction like this one, of human tragedy, briefness, sensitivities, fragilities, our need for atonement, our natural surreality, our disturbing strangeness, our rich in strangeness. She's always been one of our most generous writers too, most urgently primed to remind us what attentiveness means in the book, but also in the world. I I remember reading in Wide Open, there's a character at one point, sees a a misshaped pig be born. It's just a head with um, uh, a creature that's a freak, extended, quote, elongated, the remainder of a body like a tiny, moist mitten. And this character looks at this and then goes away and then she thinks to herself, she should have saved the head. If only she could have touched it. If only it had needed understanding. But it had received none. Barker grants life, thoughts and narrative, this level of attention at all the levels. She grants them to an understanding of the pressure, specifically true to the information and the disinformation ages that we're living. And for coming from such an ultra-contemporary talent, light years ahead, formally, of all the other novelists writing in English right now, her work has a taproot deep in the metaphysical. Um, recently, uh, I was at a reading that she gave at uh, for students at a college, and she, she read from I Am Sovereign and she spoke at length about devotional writing and about notions of the soul. And the place was packed and I saw these teachers of some of these students sitting at the back and I saw them kind of wince when she started to speak about something. So, <laughs> outre as the soul, you know. And then that question question asking section of the evening, the first question from a young student in the front row whose face was shining was, can you tell us... Some more about the soul. <laughs> and then the next question from someone else, and I, I looked and there was another member of staff who now was just evanescent with light, excitement. She's a, she's a specialist in ellipsis, and suddenly I saw her, I saw her find herself in, in, in having heard Nicola speak, and, and next to her there was a student who said, can you tell us some more texts where people write about the soul? And then the next question was, can you talk about the articulation of the soul? I mean, Nicola's been interested since she started writing in what she calls, in a story back in 1996, the world soul. Uh, The story was called Inside Information and in it the world soul is, quote, a democratic body of pinpricks of light, an enormous institution and in the story a newly pregnant woman discovers she's got a zip in her side now that she's pregnant and she starts shoplifting things (laughs) and hiding them in with the fetus and the fetus complains bitterly about this to the world soul. Uh, So... In other words, she has been publishing brilliant, unreservedly original short and long fiction since 1994, has won and been shortlisted, etc. It's all on Wikipedia and none of it prepares you for your first encounter with a Barker text or your next or your next. The most recent of her prize winnings is the Goldsmiths Prize, one of the best and most courageous of the prizes on the circuit. A couple of years ago for her last novel, Happy
2: Happy. How do you say it?
0: H A P P Y. H A P P Y. H A P P Y. It's got brackets around the a. Um, a. Which, to all intents and purposes, she, she says at the end of this book, the author has been prey to mixed feelings about the novel as a form ever since completing her last work, Happy, which, to all intents and purposes, destroyed the novel as a form for the author. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's like a little burp
0: after. From, from which burp Nicola Barker will now read and I'll ask her some questions and then we'll at it to the floor please welcome Nicola Barker
2: I must just say before I, before I read that um, it would be criminal to have Ellie Smith here and to not get, <laughs> she'll be furious, Damn. to not get her to read from Spring. So I have bought my copy of Spring. Oh, because I feel as if um, now is the time to hear those first few pages of that book now more than ever before. And um, yes, because Ellie... Um, writes about what's happening now in a a way more kind of coherent and direct way than I do so uh, I just would love to hear it and um, I brought it along and she's going to have to do it so everyone will get to enjoy that (laughs) but I have I have said that I don't want to her to read too close to me because I I I hate (laughs) I don't want the comparison so we're going to do my little bit and then I, I want Ellie just to do Something at the end, and then everyone's oh, really uh, free. No, to ask Ellie questions as well. Oh. <laughs> it, it, it would be you aren't. It would be a crime. You, you for actually her not aren't because I'm no, the chair. Right. You are. So, you are going to
0: no. just before you start. Actually, what what about the word sovereign? Right now, to you, what what are you thinking about? Right in this time of the question of sovereignty and the attack on sovereignty and the taking over of sovereignty, what are you thinking about?
2: Yeah, sovereignty? I'm just. Um, <laughs> I should think it's quite obvious what I think, yeah. but um, I've been, um, I, that wasn't the main thing I was thinking about when I was writing the book. It no. wasn't the main thing I was thinking about, but it's been really intriguing for me um, how people have have really embraced that and... Um, responded to it especially in the right-wing press how uh yeah know I was really delighted someone um I think in the mail had really appreciated it and was very suspicious of me which I, I was <laughs> delighted by but, um, <laughs> but also touched also touched because yes because I because my my world view is that um yes any kind uh Compromise is necessary. Everything beautiful yes. comes from compromise. Everything good come from, comes from compromise. You know, I believe in the virtue of suffering. All very unfashionable things, but these are, yeah. you know, so that's, that's what I think about it, really. You know, which, not very, but um, uh, what I think about it at some level is entirely uh, written into what you've written about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it, in a way that makes me... Because I'm quite cynical about the novel as a form now. When I read your book, it made me. It, no, it did not make me understand what the point was of it, and how it could be something beautiful, and, uh, and no, and how it could be something necessary, and how it was meaningful. So, so that's why I want you to do that little bit of a reading. So I can't, I can't, uh, I can't really articulate that as well as you can. No. So that's Ali's job. She, hopefully she's going to do that later for us. <laughs> So I'm going to read, I've done a reading with Ellie before and I read from the start of the book, which I find the most amusing bit, but I I refuse to read in front of her the same thing twice. So I'm going to read something from later on in the book, which is where, um, as the author, I interrupt the book um, and and make a few apologies. We apologise in advance for the brief interruption, but it is necessary at this moment in the novella, henceforth referred to as I am sovereign, To warn the reader that Nicola Barker, henceforth referred to as the author, has been granted absolutely no access to the thoughts and feelings of the character (laughs) (laughs) Gaiassi Chance Ebo, henceforth referred to as the subject. At his inception, the subject seemed not only a willing but an actively enthusiastic participant in the project. Yet after several weeks of engagement became increasingly cynical and uncooperative to the point of threatening to withdraw from the enterprise altogether if the author deigned to encroach unduly upon his interior life. <laughs> For this reason, where possible, the author has attempted, with the subject's permission, to sidestep his wanton opacity by calmly theorizing on the subject's possible feelings slash thoughts slash motivations and then transcribing these ideas into the text using an entirely different font. The standard font is Baskerville. The subject has requested American typewriter as an alternative for the chapters in which he is to be heavily featured, American typewriter was agreed upon after lengthy consultations with the subject. The author should make it plain that American typewriter is a font that does not permit the use of italicization, something that she worries in the light of her ebullient style may ultimately be inhibiting to the feel and flow of I am sovereign. (laughs) If this is indeed the case, the author apologizes again unreservedly. It would be difficult, nay foolish, for the author to speculate at this juncture on the whys and the wherefores of the subject's taciturnity. The author is both saddened and frustrated by the subject's seeming unwillingness to place his trust slash confidence in her, the author's, natural sense of balance and fair play in relation to this slash her texts. The author has informed the subject via telepathy and WhatsApp, that she is merely trying to tell the simple, almost trite story of a 20-odd minute house viewing in Clandidno, during which the subject makes a brief, relatively inconsequential appearance, but the subject, while accepting that he was conceived of as present during said viewing, is determined to remain abstruse, impenetrable, and enigmatic. The subject also disagrees with the idea that his appearance is merely inconsequential, but rather describes his role as climactic, even seminal. The author is unconvinced that the subject understands the real meaning of the word seminal. (laughs) The author wishes the reader to understand that she thought long and hard about cutting the subject from I am sovereign altogether, but ultimately felt that to do so would involve a profound compromise of her febrile and unconstrained imagination the subject is unconvinced that the author understands the real meaning of the word febrile. <laughs> the author sincerely hopes that the reader will extend a measure of compassion and understanding towards herself slash the text during the following three chapters and do their best to work with the author in imagining the extraordinarily richne- extraordinary richness and diversity of the subject's potential role as it was originally conceived in I Am Sovereign. The subject also sincerely hopes that the reader will extend a measure of compassion and understanding towards himself, his rights to self-determination during the following three chapters, and do their best to work with him in imagining the extraordinary richness and diversity of his actual role, as opposed to the role he is to be patronizingly gifted by the author in I Am Sovereign. The author wishes to make it clear, and she feels that this actually goes without saying, although she is saying it, that it has been necessary to make certain very subtle adjustments to I am sovereign in order to try and counterbalance the problems engendered by the subject's unexpected reticence. Novels are finely honed and delicate organisms. The character of Wang Shu, for example, has been greatly reduced and simplified as a consequence of these necessary adjustments. In the original version, Wang Shu spent only a fraction of her time on the phone talking in Chinese, several pages in which Wang Shu spoke most touchingly and evocatively about her skill in playing the erhu, a traditional two-air in Chinese <laughs> stringed instrument with its horsetail and bamboo bow and box-like body featuring, among other exotica, python skin, were summarily eradicated. These included the moving story of Wang Shu's unsuccessful, nay, borderline tragic audition for the Guangzhou Symphony Youth Orchestra as a teenager, her shows of extraordinary bravery and persistence in bouncing back from this terrible disappointment and her eventual joyous slash life-affirming acceptance into the National Youth Orchestra of China. In some senses, these scenes represented an exquisite, and all the more so for being both utterly unexpected and immensely well-judged, opening up of Wang Shu and the author sincerely considers them to be among some of the finest work she has ever produced. <laughs> the subject would not agree with this particular value judgment. The character of Morpheus was added to I Am Sovereign in the final draft. In the earlier version, a kitten called Cindy featured, but this kitten was a tortoiseshell long hair, and the subject became irritated by the way her fur kept marking his white jeans and compromising his look, even though Charles kindly supplied him with a selection of lint rollers throughout the writing of I Am Sovereign's first draft. The subject will like it to be known that the author insisted on his wearing white jeans when in fact he had preferred to wear grey moleskin jodhpurs. Finally, it should be noted that in the original version of I Am Sovereign, the character of Abigail at no point vacates the property on Ty Isa Road. Due to her high levels of professionalism, the character Abigail would never willingly leave clients in the lurch while showing a vendor's home. To do so would run counter to her very nature the subject finds it frankly laughable that Abigail's professionalism should be mentioned in this context. He has no idea what relevance Abigail's professionalism or want of professionalism has to do with the issue at hand. In some senses, the author considers it little short of a tragedy that the subject's decisions have impacted so heavily on I Am Sovereign as a whole, but strenuously maintains that she she respects his choices and ultimately bears the subject no lasting ill will. The subject calls this final statement by the author sentimental, sententious poppycock. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is it true what you just read? <laughs> it kind of
2: is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is true. I. I did have problems engaging with... I had him as a character, and then yeah. I had problems engaging with him, and yeah. I, yes, I suddenly didn't feel I wanted to. Yeah,
0: yeah we'll, talk, I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute as well, about the, <laughs> about the, the ways in which some people get to be at the centre of a narrative and others don't, which is one of the gifts of this book, an understanding of the responsibilities that we hold towards people and, and narr- narratives, both at once. Um, so you finished Happy... And H ha- A P P Y. Yeah. And it had left you thinking you were not going to write another novel.
2: I, it did. It did.
0: So where did this come from? It
2: wasn't a. Um. Obviously, I make a living writing novels, yeah. so it was a. It was an uh, an uncomfortable realization. Yeah. But I did feel as if something had. Um, oh. Something had. Yeah. Imploded, for me, uh, just in terms of how I saw narrative. So, um, yes, I did. I did think, and I still think. Actually, I still think. Uh, it, it sounds weird. It's all to do with numbers. It's all to do with um, the death of things and the birth of things and how those, that, those two things are so closely intertwined. But I did feel as if I had reached the end of what I needed to say as a novelist and that, I'd, that my tools had almost kind of disappeared, that they'd evaporated. So this book, um, this book is this kind of it is like a strange afterthought. So I'm still very much in that. I mean, not in a dramatic way, yeah. in, a, in, a, yeah. in a quite calm, happy way. I'm still in that place, yes.
0: Okay. Um, and when we open it, the first thing you read is the epigraph, the T.S. Eliot epigraph. Beautiful. Which is really beautiful. Yeah. Where is the life we have lost in living? Yes. Is that, that, yeah. is that, is that where it started, this book? Does it come from, I mean, did, it, did it come from the, that question? Did it come from the Elliot? Did yes,
2: because I, I did an event here. Um, okay. I, I can't remember when it was, but not that long ago. And I had to uh, read a lot of Elliot and think yeah. about Elliot a lot. And obviously, he's been a huge influence on me. Uh, but I, hadn't, I didn't know that much about him. And it was, uh, was just extraordinary finding out all of these things about him and especially his relationship just to language and to faith. Uh-huh. And I felt uh, an, an immense sympathy and empathy for him, but um yes, the quote uh, is um yes, that where is the life we've lost, lost in living and i think and it kind of feels so true and I almost feel as if um fiction fiction is a part is a way of capturing that life and condensing it and and um making it real and I think certainly, for me as a novelist, I think I've spent my whole adult life. Uh, retreating into fiction. Uh, Fiction has been a retreat for me, and I've lived inside fiction. And I think with Happy happy that kind of exploded. Broke it. Yeah, it's
0: kind of broken. Yes.
2: I was was writing something only this morning about this idea, and I was thinking about you, and I thought, I wonder if Ali uh, feels that about fiction. I wonder if fiction has ever been a retreat for you. Because I don't feel as if it is. I feel as if your relationship is very is more tender and loving towards the novel than mine.
0: I don't feel that like your, relas- your relationship with fiction has ever been a retreat. When I think of your mm-hmm. fiction, it, just, it, says, it may have seemed like a retreat for you, but it, in the world, it's, it's like a, a, kind of a, a set of architectures that are blown wide open to us so that mm-hmm. we can see the structure of things and at the same time think, how could we live?
2: Yeah, yeah. but I think, I, um, I think it was uh, a, a lovely place for me to live okay. inside fiction. Huh. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's no, there are no regrets. I've loved living inside it.
0: And you're saying that in the past tense. But burrowed. Used, but I've he,
2: been, buried he, he been, he been buried
0: in You've been burrowed in fiction. <laughs> but are you and saying? I have
2: been looked... I know, I was thinking this again today. Yeah. I, I have been um, really looked after. Why? I, I, I think at some level the same has applied to you. Like I've been really tended by people. I've been really protected by um, editors and publishers and agents and, um, um, in a really lovely way. And I think they've all taken me seriously when perhaps I've never taken myself that seriously. And so there's a like immense amount of gratitude for that. And okay. um,
0: Yes. But does that, that but you're still talk you're kind of talking about that as if something is still ended rather mm. than that something has moved forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, does it feel that a little I do feel,
2: feel like that like a, little, huh? do feel like a tiny
0: bit. So, but what but the the origin of this immense ball of life <laughs> that is I am Yeah sovereign. my
2: dad works as a realtor in America. Okay. Yeah, he's in his uh late 70s and he works selling real estate in uh, in america and he was telling me about And he gets really involved in the people people's lives Uh, and he was just telling me on the phone how he was doing all of these things for this old he called him an old guy but the guy was probably younger than he is and he was he was like cutting down trees to try and sell a property and he was doing all these different things and it just made me laugh and i thought wow he's so involved in the sale of these properties and it it just seemed like a beautiful and such tender thing and um, and then I was in Clendeneden, where my mother lives, just outside Clendeneden. And we were walking down uh, the promenade, and I just looked to my left, and there was a there was a little road, and it was absolutely covered in. And, and gulls and I just suddenly felt really drawn to walk down it. and I said to her can we just walk down that road uh-huh. and as soon as I walked onto it I thought this is this is where a book must be set it just immediately and that's how it is with me in place and uh, and I walked down the street and then I saw the little property and I thought that's the place that's the house where something's gonna happen <laughs> yeah so that was the start of
0: it that's lovely um Charles who yes. can't get started yeah no Abigail who's running away from significance in capital letters. <laughs> yeah. Wang Xu and Ying Yui, a mother and daughter viewing the house who are themselves mirrors of compatibility yeah. and incompatibility. Yeah. It's, about, it's about self-help. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all in the book, the chapter headings of which are the slogans of ironic T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me about my vow of silence. <laughs> 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 go, they're, all go,
2: they're all real. They're real.
0: They're yeah, real. They're, <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? Where the point, the point where the fiction meets the real, I suppose, is what I'm, what I'm asking with that. Because those YouTube stars yeah. are, are real people.
2: Oh, no. I, I mean, I only... Richard Brennan Is it yeah, Brannon? Uh, Richard Brannon. and Lucy uh, Molloy. I'm very uh, yeah. respectful. Whenever I use people in a book, it's always respectfully. And mm. it's always because they've inspired me or enthused me in some way. And certainly Richard Grannon I think, is an extraordinary talent and like, a brilliant man. And very much recommend people watching on YouTube. He's fabulous. Um, so, yes, so um, no, I absolutely love him. So, I wanted him to feature in the book.
0: Okay. So, when I use, Does Real, he know? Has he read your book?
2: I sent it to him, but I had no response, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was. I, I thought it was a great compliment to him. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm really admiring I really admire him. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yes, there was a moment of pause. There was a moment of anxiety. He crushed me immediately, but he just ignored me, and I think that was for the best, really.
0: Is Richard Grant in the man who does the hand? Yes. Yeah, okay. Hand mnemonic.
2: Tell them about the yes. hand mnemonic, please. Oh yes. So the hand mnemonic is this um, is to help um, yes it, to help uh, victims of trauma, and you know, I'm trying to remember it now. Now the pressure is on. So the hand. So you now What is the first one? It's, I am sovereign. Yes, I am so sovereign. So you say I am sovereign on the thumb. Okay. You, well, you tap the opposite hand to your. So I am sovereign. I'm queen of my own serenity. Mm-hmm. I am sovereign. So I'm in charge of everything I'm doing. This finger you point at the inner critic. You point at it. Whatever it is, the negative voice in your head. You point at it. You say, I know who you are. I know what you're doing. You're the inner critic. I'm not going to listen. I am sovereign. The third one is um, the third one is saying no boundaries yes so yeah so third one is yes boundaries know when to say no to other people and to yourself Uh, the fourth one is self-partnering yes so partnering the self yes no drinking enough water yes yes eating sensibly going to bed at 11 o'clock after 11 uh, yeah no blah so that's self-partnering and then the last one is how am i feeling how am I feeling? Cause people never ask themselves how they're feeling. They never actually feel things. They just ignore how they're feeling and move forward. So it's like, how am I feeling? And then you interrogate your feelings, and you have to ask yourself repeatedly, how am I feeling right now? How am I actually feeling? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's the hand mnemonic. Okay. Richard Grant's hand mnemonic. And Lucy Malloy. Lucy Molloy, uh, she, is, uh, she is very, very heavily tattooed. She's beautiful, and she's very, very heavily tattooed. She has a distinctive facial tattoo, and she is a star on you know, YouTube. And she—I I don't know how I came across her, but she, um, she seems to live such a sort of mundane life for someone really heavily tattooed. And she's very conventional. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's very conventional. And you follow her exploits. You know, she's going to the shop, or she's like doing really, really. You know, she's eating bagels. She's like, <laughs> and there she is, heavily tattooed. And you're like, and there's something so mundane about her that it was. Just intriguing, yeah. yeah really yeah. fascinated yeah. me. Did you send her a copy? No, I no. didn't send her a copy. No, uh, she is married to the um, the Australian tattoo artist, um, okay. who's uh, what's it, Malloy? Uh, her husband, anyway, is a famous tattoo artist. She has the most beautiful uh, carly on her back, yeah. like huge carly, which I'm very admiring of.
0: So, in a way, all these people just meet in this kitchen. Yes, the ho- yes, the they meet in the, in
2: the house, uh, the house viewing, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's it lasts for twenty minutes, and that is the, that is essentially the novel. It's just one those of them twenty
0: is, minutes. Is, well, twenty minutes. One of them is on, is on the phone speaking but in that, Chinese. Yes, the
2: mother figure. Yes, yes she's always on the phone mm-hmm. throughout the book. She's constantly on the phone speaking in Chinese. We have no idea what she's talking about. And yes, that's, and Abigail. but we do find out what she's talking we do, about. We do, find out. we do find out at the yeah. end, but yeah. but yeah, that's
0: later on. And her daughter, with her, her daughter you yeah. know is
2: yes, is is a, a kind of um, like exquisitely innocent. And I suppose
0: exquisitely
2: innocent. <laughs> no, but she is, isn't yes. she? She's incredibly innocent slash vacuous, and there's no way of oh. telling which <laughs> <laughs> which it is. <laughs> but um, I'm. My life philosophy, yeah. I mean, I have two really, but my life philosophy is uh, ferocious innocence. That's my thing. It's the That's phrase. how I live. It's I live. the
0: phrase at the centre of this book, ferocious yeah, innocence. Yeah, that's
2: that's me, so that's where... What's your
0: other motto?
2: Well, my love of paradox, and my okay. love of contradiction.
0: Okay, so yeah, ferocious The pair of opposites. Ferocious uh, guilt, ferocious
2: innocence? Yes. Uh, no, no ferocious, no, no, I don't Opposite know. Opposite of innocence? No,
0: no. Opposite of innocence is what? If it's the opposite, you're living in paradise. A cynicism. Cynicism.
2: Yes, there is. So, I refuse. I refuse there is to be such cynical. Such a refusal
0: of cynicism in this. Book. <laughs> I refuse it to is be cynical. The best thing. I mean, I, uh-huh. I read. I read this book. Uh, Nicholas talking about reading spring. I read this book uh, in the spring in in April, um, and I was. It is as if it restores your innocence this to read this book and that's an impossible thing to do that's a miraculous thing to do but this notion of innocence being ferocious i want to ask you mm. to say more about that
2: yes well i'm, I'm richard grannon weirdly mm. uh, undermined undermines my ideas about ferocious innocence which is something i've i've held dear for quite mm. a few years because he he calls it neurotic innocence mm like oh <laughs> yeah so he doesn't like yeah so it's like mm, is it neurotic but that's a different mm. kind of innocence isn't it well neurotic innocence isn't good that means you're someone who gets exploited yeah yeah but i am not going to be exploited i'm ferociously innocent yeah. i consider that different so uh, i'm aware of people trying to exploit me ferocious but, in... but i but i i'm i remain innocent in the face of that ferocious
0: in protection of your innocence Farrouche's yes, in,
2: in the protection. So it happens in all. That's why I'm always saying this. I'm always saying this to Ellie because I always end up doing things with Ellie because I won't do them in general.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then,
2: then they say, "Oh, Ellie's oh, doing it." I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I suppose I'll have to do it then. <laughs> so I don't uh, do not do much stuff like this because my whole thing is that the work comes from the unconscious. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and so I can't talk about it. How because how can we talk about it? You go,
0: can't like, go away, all of you, because we can't, talk, we can't actually can't talk about it. It's almost impossible to, to talk about it. And, and, and when you do talk about it, it empties out the ah, thing you do. That's exactly right. it. So
2: yeah. it becomes it becomes, when you repeat things enough, it becomes a cliché. Ah
0: doesn't it? So Not that you're really not really good with cliché. I mean, you're really... I think... You, know,
1: actually,
2: you love cliché. You're, you're passionate about,
0: about cliché. But I don't, I, mean, to, I don't want to live cliché. Well, I was once on a panel with a young American writer sitting next to me here who said, uh, if anyone ever gave me a Hallmark card, I would never be able to speak to that person again. And I remember... Actually, you came into my head at this point. I was like... <laughs> I was like, I know what Nicola Barker can do with a hallmark
1: card, <laughs> and now I know the kind of writer
0: you are and the kind of writer that I love. Yeah. So, so, no, no, so. the well, yes, the cliche, but, yeah, but yeah, but if you, if you we know, empty, if we yeah. empty out the meaning for our for ourselves by saying it or by articulating yeah. it, even
2: I did, yeah. uh, and this must happen to you all the time. To- I mean, all the time, and I so I don't know how you remain so productive, but I don't. I do very little, and I went on a. Um, I went on an arts council thing to Russia. I think it was that like three years ago. It? And it was the first um, exchange between uh, English writers, uh, first group of English writers, um, British writers actually, mm. going to mainly Scottish, going to um, Russia. Mm. And I was, on the, I was always on the end of the line. And everybody else had a lot to say about the novel. And I was at the end. And I was obviously ferociously innocent. <laughs> so I was like, I can't really say anything. Cause I'm too innocent. <laughs> I don't think about things. It's it's all connected to the unconscious. Yes. Like, This this would be too hard for me to have an opinion. But it's true. It's I true. am. But then, okay. So this you is say, an anomaly. Yeah, no, this but, is the paradox. This is your other. magic. Yeah, no. This is
0: the paradox. So you here. say
2: that two or yeah. three times. So at the end of the pan, You know, at the end of the line, you're like, oh, I hate myself. My ferocious <laughs> innocence. <laughs> It was unbearable. So I I did begin to hate myself. I began to hate the fact that I I wasn't able to
0: contribute because I was so ferociously innocent. Oh, but I don't like that thing coming anywhere near your ferocious innocence. No, it did like that. Which we need. Yeah, in the world, your ferocious innocence. Um, Yeah. Is the author truly sovereign? That's the question that's asked in "I Am Sovereign." The, yeah. the, the, from, from what you were reading, so there's here's Ghazi Chance Ebo, your character, that your taciturn character who <laughs> turns around and argues back, enters the text to correct things, um, and you and he are actually lock, locked in combat, yeah, yeah. As, as you say. And in the last pages of the novel, we find out wrenchingly where he comes from. Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to do a spoiler.
2: Yeah, uh, but it's
0: about how little space he has been allowed in the world, yes. as well as
2: yeah, yes. the world of narrative. I suppose we're also. To, I think I'm also saying whether I have the mm. right to tell his story, mm. but I and so I do have mixed feelings about that. Mm-hmm. But also, I hope that I would, mm. but I know that that's up for grabs now. All these kinds of ideas, and I think it puts um, the novelist in a very complicated position. So I'm sort of trying to engage with that. Okay, um, I have a friend who's an excellent writer and um, very religious, and he wants to write a book about the Virgin Mary. And, um, and he was just told that he was told that it wouldn't be appropriate for a man to write a book about the Virgin Mary. Who told him that? Well, just, he was just advised that, and he was really upset.
0: Advised and, by, um, by but so, priests? So, I mean, it's, it's, no, no,
2: in, in general. In but, general. But, so um, that really disturbed me. That really yeah. worried me. Yeah. Um, so I suppose there's a kind of flavour of that anxiety creeping into the novel I do think as time passes it does become harder to be as free so I'm not as free now and I I, yes you do feel you do feel these and I refuse to feel them obviously because I'm ferociously innocent I I refuse to and the novel is for you and for me and this is the the thing we I think we share the novel is playful and it's mischievous for us and it's joyful hmm. and and um you can't you can't be restricted you can't apply you can't pay hmm. attention to rules and to uh, certain forms of etiquette you can't because you can't be free yeah and, and we can't i don't think the joy is there if you can't be free
0: so to so talk to me about exactly that about the way you play all the time with typeface with the very notion of the word with the notion of something on a page yeah It's all, it really is all just... With with colour, as you did with Yes, it's all just
2: accidental with me. So there's no... (laughs) Ali and I have talked previously, haven't we, about um, uh, how... Ellie is way more cons- oh. no, don't grunt because you did agree with me. Ellie is way more considered, and she is more of an intellectual than me I know, but really <laughs> no, it. It, it, it really is yeah, true. we have to. It really is true because yeah, I am yeah. a bit of a dunce in general. I? I like I don't retain facts and I walk into furniture. Whereas Ellie, <laughs> Ali is really really, quite really good at pretending. Ellie is really, Ellie is really. <laughs> no, Ellie is Ali is well read, and she is she is considered. No, you are considered, and you bring that to the novel. Whereas I don't bring that. I just bring, uh, I, I'm, there's a kind of spontaneous energy, but it is quite silly. Oh, you are Yeah, kidding. no, it isn't, no, that really is how it is. I will, I'll retain facts for a short period of time, and then, boom, it's gone.
0: Oh, no, same, absolutely same with me. Well, I don't think so. Anyway, stop that talking about me, because <laughs> what I, I really want to talk about that intervention of the author who has been more and more present in your work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm remembering the point that in the approaches where there's a character who is wearing a sweater that is three sizes too small because he doesn't want to offend the person who knitted it for him. But it's so small that it's actually causing red wheels <laughs> around his neck and his wrists. And he's like, he's like this is the time and he gets really angry at the cow author, Nicola Barker, who has put him in this book and treated him in this way. Yeah. And he says, why didn't Edna O'Brien write me? Why am I stuck with Nicola Barker? <laughs> but this is a this is a this is a uh, it makes me think of spark muriel spark it is the key to spark's work that the question of the character talking to the author is about the ways in which we live in belief mm. or in faith or in the structures which we call belief and faith by which we're made yeah. so therefore those characters in i mean from the get-go muriel spark writing in the comforters with her character going i am going to i am not going to live by your plot typewriting ghost. There's a character called Caroline in The Comforters. She hears, she starts as she's living her normal you know, sort of realist, novelist life to hear a typewriter tip, 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 and she hears what's happening to her, her own story as it were in voices in the room and she hears what she calls the typewriting ghost which then she realises is producing her, her reality and she's like, I'm, I'm not fictional Who are, are you calling me fictional? I'm not fictional. That relationship in the Catholic novelist's particularly summed up in Sparks' work from the get-go, about the relationship between the author, the authority, the system of belief, Mm. and the fictional character at the basis of it.
2: Yeah. I think... uh, I do worry, though, that when the author enters the text, it is the beginning of the end, really. So I think the fact that I've appeared more and more, and I'm very present in this one, I do think that's... uh, so I'm bringing everyone down. But that is actually quite, um, I think that
0: is quite worrying. Or is it just the end of the because, beginning? It, because is, the, it, 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 is it the point after which you, are bro- you have broken the novel open to such an extent that you can get to the something...
2: Well, I would hope so. ...authentic,
0: absolutely yes. authentic, that is Maybe. in fiction, This is actually true to us. And it is the so. metaphysical.
2: Yeah? Yes. I, I would see my work in general as uh, an attempt to describe the indescribable. Yeah. And and um, and to uh, to find transcendence through kind of confusion, that's sort of the function of the novel for okay. me.
0: Yeah. But um, yes. So when we sat in, in that college with those students, and you talked about the soul, yeah, and about devotional writings, yeah. Um, tell them about yes the no
2: there was a <laughs> no i was simply saying that i've been reading about the soul yeah. and that i um yeah. the the journey for me over recent years is obviously i'm um religious which is very unfashionable i'm i'm religious but um and and i would i would call that spiritual and um that's the spirit but um for many years i don't think i considered that the soul was different to the spirit. And that's, so that's something I've been thinking about in recent years. And I've been reading mm-hmm. uh, some really wonderful um, archetypal psychologists, one who is called Thomas More, uh, influenced by James Hillman, who is a great kind of the master of this world, uh, of this particular yeah, uh, psycholo- psych- type of psychology. And so um, and they, they talk a lot about the soul. And um, I'm very preoccupied by the idea of um, knowledge and how knowledge, um, the ancient Greeks saw it as being divided between logos and mythos. And how how our current world is totally logos. Yeah. And what a shame that is. What a tragedy that is. Because mythos is really the point of everything. The soul uh, feeling. It doesn't have to be religious feeling. It can just be soulfulness. And so, um, yes, yeah, so I've... I realised that my spirit energy is head energy and my soul energy had always been heart energy and those mm. two things were never quite at ease with each other. Mm. And so in, in the last year or two, um, with H-A-P-P-Y, there was a kind of terrible um, eruption and a, a kind of...
0: The point at which you're talking about fiction in that book or the fictions or the narratives we live by as either cathedral or slum. Mm. I mean, this, this uh, interests me that... that dichotomy that you drew in that book um, between the the things which, by which we live are they are they are we living in the slum or are we living in that great edifice which we can mm, create
2: yeah yeah that huge uh which was in fact only made out of equations in the book it was like this huge buzzing equation virtual, <laughs> virtual <laughs> the book goes so nuts at the end v- virtual <laughs> so <cathedral>. nuts <laughs> you, in,
0: that you were born in Ely. Yes, oh, I yes, I was. I was born oh, right near the, that whenever, beautiful cathedral. Whenever I read, get to the port, part no. part of of H uh, A P P Y where uh, the narrative. Whenever you get, the, as the, if you're the narrative, you're the narrative has it. become the cathedral again. I think that's yes, the that beautiful. cathedral which was over your birth. Yes, but then out you went into the world after that. Yeah, to across the world to live in, lived in Africa. Yeah, yeah I yeah. lived in South Africa yeah, South for a Africa. long time. Yeah,
2: so yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Yes, very, uh, very complex. Uh, A lot of, uh, that's why a lot of my early work was about islands, because being, moving from a very tiny island and a small community into this huge expanse, which was uh, morally complex. And um, yes, a very dark period of my life. And so... um, I think that's what really made me a writer, was this sense of of distance and uh, dislocation and also a a real feeling of um, moral responsibility, Mm -hmm. which I think uh, in the UK, people didn't... They couldn't understand that. And even when I returned... What do
0: you Mm -hmm. mean they couldn't understand that?
2: I don't don't think um, morality was expressed in in everyday life in quite such an extreme form. And um, my mother worked for the Learning Post, which was a big... Uh, black newspaper and we were uh, compelled to leave mm. so there was nothing shameful about it but it was still an immense shame you know and you carry it in your voice and you carry it in in everything and um, yes that's a really important part of what made me a writer trying to understand feelings of guilt and responsibility and of how you can be responsible for things even when you've not done something mm. or just all of these very um subtle and slight ideas connected to responsibility and morality yeah
0: connected to responsibility morality to notions of god and to notions of the imagination Mm. as well yeah Um, right back in in your first novel um there's there's a there's a character who who says every thought idea commentary fiction was traveling towards a single meaning she tried to find this meaning but it was hopeless it was too big it was nothing that one meaning might have to be god she decided which would be like a defeat and yet there's another character who, way back in that novel, says, "The imagination gives her total liberation, because there were all these things she could imagine happening also, and this was the wonderful part, the amazing part she could imagine just as easily, these same things not happening."
2: So, um, I, <laughs> I think, have no memory of writing. I: think,
0: <laughs> I think though, that, that positioning of, the, that, of, of the, the, what should we say, the, 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 the balance of God and the imagination. The notions of God and the notions of the imagination have been at work in your work. Yeah, they
2: have. Since the start. I had to go to a. There was a seminar in Manchester on my work uh, last year. There's lots of papers. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it because I had no memory of my work. (laughs) So it's like, wow, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of a nutter wrote this stuff? Well, I I was just laughing throughout. I enjoyed it so much. I had no memory of writing the stories. It was like totally mysterious to me. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so weird.
0: Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh,
2: <laughs> I never I never think about the work that's done. I'm always thinking ahead. I never think about it. I write it and then I completely forget about it. So, or it, no comes, it comes through it.
0: you from that subconscious or unconscious place. Yeah, which, I think so. Which we can't articulate. Yeah. I was at a, 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 an event last week where Nicholas Sturgeon was interviewing Arundhati Roy and, and she said to Arundhati Roy, summarise the ministry of utmost happiness. And Arundhati Roy oh. went, Why? How would I? How could I? She said, Because mm. you can't, because that is uh, exactly that. You, no. the, the, it comes through us. So there's no way that you could say anything other than the thing that yeah. you write. Yeah. 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 Um, given that, and given that you said that you are uh, at the moment in what feels like afterthought to the novel form, what is the what is the novel form for? Can I? I mean, I mean, there's a question. What does it do in the world? Is, and is it a moral form? Uh, I suppose uh, I'm thinking of the preoccupation all the way through your I don't the work, think it that you've, is. The work that you've forgotten with good and bad, and with I mean, I think of Wesley, that character who is both you know a religion and a man who feeds his fingers to an owl in an act of atonement. And, <laughs> And then I thought uh, it, was, uh, it was at another event where Elif Shafak said the most interesting thing. She said the novel is a democratic space. Really? And then in so? Clear, in your novel Clear, sure the, it that is. you won't remember the liberating statement: there is no, <laughs> there is no right or wrong in fiction. So I'm cool guessing. to quote the these things at the me. Story. There is no right or wrong. There, there is no, no. There's your character in Clear who says there's no right or wrong in fiction. The story is just the story.
2: Really? Yeah. Yes. Don't agree with that. <laughs> that.
0: That character is a particular white I mean, boy. I don't, like don't remember any into. of that, yeah. no. How yeah. strange. Yeah. Anyway, what's, it, what's the novel form for? What does it do?
2: Mm. I, I don't know. For me, it's. Um, I think for some people it it is a way of... Um, it's a way of people reflecting, seeing themselves. In, like a lot of novels are about people seeing themselves okay. and feeling comforted. So lots of books are about comfort, aren't they? And reassurance. I feel as yeah. if the form can be reassuring. I think um, in my my novels aren't reassuring. My novels are um, challenging. And that's what I love to do. I love to challenge. And so to, if you're going to be challenged, you have to, you have to be, there has to be space. The, the reader has to say, uh, w- when you live in a culture where everything is about you, uh, the novels, my novels certainly, they say, um, well, you're going to actually have to step into this world. Uh, this isn't all about you. And you're going to have to, yes, you're going to have to, I'm going to make a tiny bit of room for you, but not much. And I'm not going to reflect you. And like, you know, mm-hmm. see, see what happens. Try it. Um, challenge yourself and I, I, I remember reading Henry James I always say this reading Henry James as a teenager and just struggling with every sentence and really hating every moment of it and then getting getting to a point in the book after all this struggle and and feet and just bursting into tears and yeah. I didn't even know why and there was just a moment of incredible kind of confusion joyfulness and transcendence and uh, I didn't know what it had done or how he'd done it and after that happened to me I thought I wish I could do something like that I wish I could I could I could I could uh, I could throw language against gaps against uh, against impossibility and throw language against it so that a shape is formed like this extraordinary this whole this something full of possibility and that's what I wanted to do that's what Henry James taught me and that's what the novel is to me but it's a it's a rarefied thing and I totally get that it's like a it's an obscure thing but I do think it's I do think it's sustaining and I do think um, novels like novelists like me and writers like me and there are a few of us that we are we are like the bottom feeders we are like the at the very bottom of the ocean but we feed higher up so even though very few people read us I do think that we're thinking about things and we're working in ways that are valuable to the culture at large but just maybe it takes a while for things to percolate through now obviously we no. want to, no now, now it's no, no. time for audience questions <laughs> no, so now we're anyone going to,
0: who's got a question <laughs> hand up quickly now, before up, she makes me no read no but out.
2: hands up who no who wants ellie to read just no, the first two pages because they yeah, are like, so like incredibly don't, beautiful don't, no, yes no, no. it's gonna happen <laughs> Ali did this, I'm just going to... Will you
0: think of some questions. <laughs> okay, and I'll, I'll read for a Ali long. I'll read did. for 30 seconds.
2: Okay. I owed Ali um, a huge favour because she came to Faversham where I live and she did uh, her first... It was your first event, wasn't it, for spring? Yeah. And she came and did a reading before, in Faversham. Before it was
0: published, actually. And it was yeah. complete yeah. Group insanity.
2: Group it was the most beautiful, the magical tent, night. A great Sarah, demo. Ali's partner, yeah. came and showed her films. Yeah. And the two of them, night. I mean, it, it was... A it really was the most beautiful, magical thing. And people were blown away by the two of you, and, um, and especially the beginning of this book. And I just saw even the kids that were working the bar, just their jaws dropped when they heard Ali read. So I just wanted to hear again. And I Hand, think, hands,
0: hands up for questions for Nicola Barker after the next 10 seconds, OK, <laughs> OK. Now, what we don't want is facts. What we want is bewilderment. What we want is repetition. What we want is repetition. What we want is people in power saying the truth is not the truth. What we want is elected members of parliament saying knife getting heated, stuck in our front and twisted, things like bring your own noose. We want governing members of parliament in the House of Commons shouting kill yourself, opposition members of parliament. We want powerful people saying they want other powerful people chopped up in bags in my freezer. We want Muslim women a joke in the newspaper column. We want the laugh. We want the sound of that laugh behind them everywhere they go. We want the people we call foreign to feel foreign. We need to make it clear they can't have rights unless we say so. Questions now, please, for Nicola. Oh, <laughs> I was a cop-out. No, no, no. <laughs> but we are, we are living extraordinary, extraordinary times, and we are really in need of extraordinary, extraordinary writers mm-hmm. who can remind us what it means to think that we are sovereign and to find out that we are not sovereign and to find out what it is that uses us to make itself so-calledly sovereign, hands up for Nicola Bar, please, for questions. Come on, thank you.
1: Because there was a good Henry James joke in your book as well. There was, I'd laugh about it. the golden bowl.
0: Where,
2: which book was this? <laughs> in,
0: in this one. <laughs> I'm Is
2: there sovereign. one in there? Try to even but, remember that uh, so, it's gone oh it's well gone.
0: Ha- perhaps my, it's like r- r- with my the question rather than my comment just, <laughs> exactly. but, um i'm i'd not come across the concept of Ein Sof.
1: oh really
0: before um and i looked it up on obviously as one yeah. does and still a bit uh but could you just say a little bit about well, i'm just in uh, no it's
2: just uh just the idea of god just uh, um from yes uh, kabbalah from ancient jewish writing so it's yes it's just a, a, a different way of describing god i suppose um the unending i think the exact translation is so yes that's essentially it so it's not i don't think it's complicated but i'm glad you engaged with it it's very 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 beautiful uh a lot of those ideas really quite wacky but very uh, very lovely
0: if If you ever do feel frustrated or exhausted with the novel form, um, do you ever feel compelled to engage in other forms of expression um, artistic expression, whether it's like visual arts or oh. dance or <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: I'm 53. I think the world of dance uh, is behind no, me no, now. No.
0: But um,
2: <laughs> uh, I started out um, when I left university. I started out painting. So I see my, I see my, but I have a, an older sister. Only one older sister. She's a graphic artist. So she was always, she's two years older. So she was always better at art, art was her thing. She was always better at it than me. So I think when you have a sibling that's very good at something, just slightly older than you, you never quite. You never quite engage with it because you're never as good as they are. But when I left university, I uh, painted and I had a little exhibition there and I painted and did these huge uh, pieces. But um, I see my work now as very visual. So I, when I'm writing, I'm, I'm, I see rather than hear, if you see what I mean. So um, I do see the novel, or I do see writing as a form of painting. So I'll always see the scene rather than imagine. It's it's a very so I so I do, I hate Twitter but I do love Instagram. Mm. So I'm like I'm always drawn to the visual rather than the written, which is odd, isn't it? But that's so I see that as my thing really. But you make text visual. That's what you do. You, yes, I do. I I love um, looking at things. And I love beautiful things, and uh, even my Catholicism is all about uh, the beauty of of ritual. So I love um, just uh, anything that's beautiful and gilded, and it, it's very tacky, really. But that's uh, and I've moved to Faversham. My church there is is Carmelite, so there's no incense, there's no nothing gilded, and it's like a huge culture shock for yeah. me, like very traumatic for me. And I've had to learn, which I've really enjoyed doing. That um, I've had to I've had to learn that my reliance on beauty isn't necessary, and it's been it's been it's been beautiful in itself yes but so visual things are important to me but i think it's good to one learn the things that you love so that you can relearn
1: nicola you said about uh, as an adult you retreated into fiction and you said i love living in fiction Mm -hmm. what type of fiction what did you read what excited you what moved you what inspired you
2: when I was younger, when I we first, about when I, yeah, when I, when, I was, um, when I was very small, uh, until I was nine, we lived in the UK and we had TV. So, um, so I just watched a lot of TV with great enjoyment. And then my parents emigrated to South Africa and they hadn't invented TV there. So it was like, oh, no, no TV. <laughs> and, and we had the local library and, and that's what I did. And, you know, we had the radio and we had the library. So, that's, I think that's probably why I became a writer, because I had that interruption, which is why I'm so tolerant of kids today, because um, that, that just wouldn't have happened for me if I'd had the distraction of, of um, yeah, the phone and all the other things that people have now. It, 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 really, only by being um, deprived of things sometimes do you, do you embrace them or appreciate them. So, it's good to be bored. Well, to, I, that's totally my philosophy. It's like so much of my childhood was intense boredom and I'm very grateful for it. And even now I try to be bored a certain amount because I think it's so easy not to be bored. It's so easy to see yourself reflected in everything. Whereas a, as a child, of course, when I was a child, you were never reflected in anything at all. Like you just got told to do something or told to be quiet and then you would just sit there bored. And that was life. Whereas now kids are indulged, aren't they? They're encouraged to do things and they're encouraged to be creative. But so um, I think it would be very different now if I, if, yes, if I was alive now. I would just be very happy just doing stuff. Mm. But I, would, I don't think I'd be creative, no.
1: Uh, Andy Smith said that your novel was an attempt to subvert sovereignty, to suggest that an individual is not identical to themselves. And I think you said towards the end of your talk that, you were, um, that, that when you created your characters, you tried to create that, 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 that split, that, that lack of self-identity. Now, it, it could be said that you are depriving of their innocence. And if that's the case, why do you deny your characters what you yourself proclaim?
2: I think of my characters always as quite innocent. Like, I think all of the characters in I Am Sovereign are quite innocent. They're quite beautiful. And, and I always love my characters. I always invent people that uh, that I would love to spend time with, and I, I feel tenderly towards them. And um, I always appreciate how um, multifaceted they are, and I'm very tender towards them. So, no, but, I, but in terms of... Um, uh, people being divided. I mean, of course, the the most important thing about human beings is that we're divided between the conscious and the unconscious. And so we are organisms that uh, parts of us don't understand other parts of us. That's exactly how we operate. So what an extraordinary thing. Uh, Mm. How strange that that I do and say and behave in ways and have done, obviously, all all the time, uh, that I don't understand and I can't comprehend and I make decisions about things that don't make sense to me and uh, like we all do it and we all see what i love is that we all see the hypocrisy and the contradiction in other people but never in ourselves (laughs) like but we are actually almost incapable of seeing it in ourselves but i really i really embrace that in myself and that's uh, um my love of uh, hinduism of uh, um Uh, Kali worship there's something called the pair of opposites which is a a really beautiful Hindu idea and it's about how something and its opposite uh, are directly related and how they you know so creation and destruction in Kali are completely related to each other they are actually opposites but they are Absolutely conjoined, and I, I see the human being. I mean, obviously, people we are pairs of opposites. We are terrible contradictions, and I, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that in myself. I'm okay with the fact that I'll I'm very religious and also kind of really irresponsible. Some you know, I, like there, there are two very um, there are two very different sides to me, and uh, it had been a it had been confusing for me for many years. And then one day I just thought it's okay, just. Just be a bit contradictory. It's actually okay. In the in the in the East, they don't they don't have a problem with that. Whereas we here, we think it's hypocrisy. But uh, I say no to that. You know, I say it's okay. It's okay to think two things at the same time.
0: It's all right. How are we doing for time, Clara? On two more. One or two more. Yes, please. So another couple of questions, please. There's one. Thank you.
1: Um, I haven't read your book yet. Would you say I would be missing out something terribly if I were to listen to your book rather than read it, given Mm. the visual playfulness of the book? Oh.
2: That's an odd one, isn't it? I suppose it depends how expressive the person is. But I do see text as very visual. That's just me. I love to uh, see the text. And my work is... um, Unjustified. So, so I never bothered to learn how books should look. Just didn't. Even though I read a lot of them, I didn't retain that information. So I always just wrote in my own way. And so the text on the page is slightly different. And I feel as if, um, and sometimes uh, they would be designed at a particular point in the publishing process. And I would see the book, and it would be completely different. So I didn't. I. I it, so all of the little jokes and all of the little pauses in the text. And a lot of the, uh, the the subtle ideas in the text I felt were lost because how I justify the text is intrinsic to how the the book feels to me and how the line runs and uh, I'm, I can Ali does the same yeah. stuff I I see it in her books and she does it so beautifully not to the extent that
0: you do though no that, but, was, but it's so def- was there a point where you actually did enter the publishing Industry, as it were, and say, "I want this to happen." Uh, when, there, but... yes, when
2: I wrote, mm-hmm. I had an editor called Claire Rehill, and um, at one point, I think it was for Darkmans, I said to her, "Actually, why, why not? Just don't have a designer. Don't change it. I just want it to look exactly as it is." And she listened to me, and she yes. published the book. I, of, of course, I didn't bother to look at it again till it came out, <laughs> and then I opened it, and I was like, "Oh." shit, they've used the same font I used. And it was like the worst font on earth. It was like the worst font. Because I always use a different font for each book just to keep me interested. It was like, oh, can't believe they've used this dreadful font. And then a designer came up to me at some party and said, I can't believe you used that font. It's like the worst <laughs> font on earth. I was like, I, d- I didn't intend for the... F-. So she really took me literally and she didn't change anything. And it was like, what a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Reading your work, I've often thought it feels and sounds and looks very much like poetry. Do you actually write poetry or do you like no. reading it no. no no, I love poetry though, yeah. and I, I feel the same way with Elliot. like it's a, it's something when I read her work it's it, It's just the same energy isn't it that we have It's like a love of words and it's a mm. like a happiness and it's just something so minute to do with the way the words sit on the page and how the lines are and how it, it's such
0: a subtle thing, but it's um, when a novel is made of language, then yeah, you um, want the novel to be about language at all its levels, at its physical level, at its at its level of the, the reader taking in the yeah. language, and at the level of as, as you do the the reconstruction of the paragraph yeah. section even. You know. But
2: it's very. Um, I always read things out loud, as I'm sure you do, because you can just tell when you read Ellie's work that it's. You can just feel it, and it's. I, I feel that great. Um, yes sympathy and empathy with her work for that reason it's just um yes so you read it out loud and it has a particular kind of rhythm and so it is very poetic i think uh there's just the joy of it and i think it's just the the yeah it's just the pleasure of it isn't it it's like a like really good coffee or something i mean you can have cheap coffee but then you're like oh uh, maybe it'll be just good coffee and it'll be just really subtle and really beautiful and, and
0: yeah and one last question from someone please Hands up for the last question.
1: Well, there we are. Thank you. Um, you uh, you spoke earlier on uh, about uh, the shit strewn street uh, yeah. as one origin uh, of the book.
2: Um, I wonder, and you and you said that um, this is common uh, that a book begins or. Writing begins with place. Yes, yes. I wonder what these places have for you in common, because it would be quite easy and, and probably quite crude to say that you've written about places that seem kind of bleak, yes, that have yes. a certain emptiness. Yeah. There's like a Kentish version yes, of that yes. where you live now. Yeah. <laughs> what 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 is it that, that, that links these places?
0: Um, Although this is the woman who moved to Faversham because of her Renaissance play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it is. I of Faversham. My favourite place. Yeah. Um, I think I I find places that um, I find places <laughs> I'm respectful of place like I find a place and I'm respectful of it and then I then I completely disregard everything about the place and re-inhabit it so it's quite a, a kind of a violation of place sometimes I think and there's always a moment where I don't know if this happens with you where you feel just slightly guilty like mm, I'm really exploiting place but um, somehow I do it and weirdly I often get People often write to me and say, oh, I've lived here for years and I feel this way about that place. And that, it always delights me as if you can in, you can intuit the very spirit and the energy of a place. But um, I do like to choose empty places and re-inhabit them. So I like to, I, I, why set things in places where it's so easy, where everything's possible and everything's there? Why not set it in a place where uh, the characters can be the most important thing and um, where yes there isn 't too much meaning embedded in the place, and you can create your own meaning and um, yes, and things like language and and character and uh, ideas can become the, come to the fore. Some kinds of places welcome that some kind of some places are sort of wistful or or underused or and you just and it 's not even a conscious choice it 's just something that you feel when you go to a place you suddenly. Uh, you just suddenly know that it 's perfect for you, and you you just is it yeah. something
0: to do with the, being the, the, the thing which all the arts are, which is marge, the margins so that the real the, the real the authentic voice comes from the margins it just does it always has done it 's been the voice that kind of cuts through whatever the mainstream mm. uh, has made, which has now become dull or, or not of use to us yeah. so you, but you always select places which are you, you, you know places, you find places, you understand places where you can re center the world, yeah. where the world can be re kind of wound and set around going again. Yes. Yeah?
2: I remember just as, a, just as a child when I was in Africa how the immensity and the, the lack of control. And I think um, so, a lot of my books were set in islands or in, very, uh, in places that were contained. And I think that was just my desire for containment and for uh, kind of comfort and calm within a small environment. So that very much is a part of it. Less so now, but certainly for a period.
0: Well, um, I don't know how you define grace. I have absolutely no idea. But I know that pretty much every time I finish reading a Barker work, I love it. And I get to the end and the days pass and 10 days, two weeks later, something opens above me. About the recentering of the world, the redefinition of what language is and can do, and how we live with it, and how it uses and lives with us, and the benignity of the possibilities of attentiveness at every level to the word and the world. Please thank Nicola Barr. Thanks for listening find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit Londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.